take your time when you're looking at something and think about every possible angle at which you can approach this specific piece of dirt and how can you maximize the upside there because the opportunities realistically are few and far between and when you get them you really want to maximize the upside best ever listeners before we get into today's episode i'm pleased and honored to be introducing you to trevor mcgregor you recognize his name he's been on the show multiple times just search trevor mcgregor joe fairless and you'll hear his interviews that i did with him and he has a lot of value during those interviews well he's had a lot of value in my life For the last five years, I have hired him to be a consultant to help me with my real estate business and just personal stuff too as a life slash business coach. And he's taken my game to a different level. Before I hired him, I had four single family homes. And oh, by the way, I was also single. Fast forward to today, my company controls over $300 million worth of real estate. And I am happily, happily married. Clearly, results are going to vary, but... He has helped me in five years do things that I didn't even have on my radar. So I suggest that you speak to Trevor McGregor if you're looking to take your real estate investing business to the next level. If you've had success and are looking to build on that success, then he's your guy. Go to trevormcgregor.com or coachwithtrevor.com. And you'll be able to apply for a conversation with him, coachwithtrevor.com. We used to do a free consultation. We got too many free consultations, and he actually is pretty full with his consulting program, and he's very conscientious about the value that he adds. He wants to add tremendous value, so he's being very selective with the people who he does work with. So go to coachwithtrevor.com and apply to have a conversation with him. And then you two can decide if it makes sense to work together or not and hire him as a consultant. It has impacted my life in a tremendously positive way. Him and his wife have gone to my wedding. Trevor's been to my conference a couple years. And I know him well. And I suggest that you get to know him as well. Coachwithtrevor.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. With us today, Gabe De Silva. How you doing, Gabe? Doing well, bud. Well, I'm glad to hear it and looking forward to diving in and interviewing you and learning more about your background and lessons learned along the way. A little bit about Gabe. He is the founder and president of De Silva Group which is a privately owned group of real estate investment and development companies based in Newark, New Jersey, focused on residential development in New Jersey. He specializes in the analysis, acquisition, renovation, and management, and disposition of distressed real estate. So with that being said, Gabe, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, for sure. So my background is in finance. I've got a couple of finance degrees, one in real estate finance, one in financial markets, an undergrad in just straight up finance. And in a past life, I worked on trading floor, traded mortgage-backed securities. And then after being let go twice in 18 months, by no fault of my own, the market dictated that it was time for me to go. I decided to scratch the entrepreneurial itch and did some stuff in food service for about four and a half years or so and sold that restaurant off. And about a little over three years ago, started investing in real estate full-time And what we do now is our niche is at a levels. So we buy dated capes and ranches 
in the better half of Union County, a specific area here in New Jersey. And we blow the roof off. We basically force appreciation by doubling the square footage. And that's our primary focus. And aside from that, we do some wholesaling. We've got a small builder supply company. So stuff that we tend to use a lot of on our projects. We've decided to start warehousing, inventorying, and then selling to our builder buddies here locally. And I personally do some coaching, some mentoring, some education stuff. That's the gist. But our overall focus is single family flips. Single family flips that you add the second floor onto? Yep, that's right. So add levels, I'd say 90% of what we do are add levels. We'll do some cosmetic rehabs, but even our cosmetic rehabs aren't like the lipstick on a pig type stuff. We'll even rip out kitchens, bats, we'll redo mechanicals. And we actually still call that cosmetic. Mm-hmm. Anything above and beyond that with the add levels or we do some new constructions, that's more our niche. Oh, that's cool. Let's talk about that some more. What are the numbers that you look at prior to blowing the roof off and doubling the square footage? The market in which we operate, there's 23 towns in this particular county where we are. The 23 or 21, I forget, 11 or 13, I have those inverted, are towns where we would do what we do in. The other half doesn't make sense. So what we're looking for are dated capes and ranches where if you were to go up on them and convert them to colonials by doubling the square footage, it would make financial sense. You'd be able to get more than twice the value. So we're looking for a spread between mid-tier Cape Ranch bungalow in that particular town and then the top-end colonial because we're going to blow this thing out. We're going to trick it out, and we're looking for a nice delta there. And in those towns where we see that, that's where we're going in, and we're trying to pick them up. Unfortunately... Or fortunately, depending on how you look at it in our market, there's a lot of people that are catching on and doing a lot of the same things. So where we would in the past buy a Cape or a ranch here locally for under 200, we're now paying 250, 275 to get in. Thankfully, the market's appreciated and we're getting the same thing on the outside. But what we're looking for is that delta, that spread there between that unkept Cape or ranch and the finished, tricked out colonial that we'd ultimately put in that place. Okay. And for someone who is not in the Northeast, but wants to do something similar in another city across the country where there might not be capes or the type of properties, but regardless of the property, just about the numbers. So you look at the property like a regular fix and flipper would, if you're going in, you look at the value that you buy it at and then how much you need to put into it. And then you look at the exit price and that's ultimately how you decide. Yeah. So when we model deals here, we're always looking for six figure flips. So we're trying to find six figures of spread on every deal. And if you're in the right towns, even though locally there's opportunities to do that, I'm actually working with a couple of coaching clients in Washington, in Raleigh, in different places where there's opportunity to do the same things in their markets. We're just trying to pinpoint where exactly they need to be looking for those specific opportunities. Just outside of Seattle proper, they can buy bungalows for 400 and sell at 1.4. Those spreads are crazy. So we don't even have those kinds of spreads here. I'm just trying to help people elsewhere understand that if you can buy the canvas, I call it like the canvas, if you can buy that at the right price, 
and there's room there to go in and do the work and there's that much spread on the sell side, those are opportunities. Here, what's happening is a lot of guys are catching on and they're squeezing out the spread on the front end. We're bidding in competition where we would have bought for 165, 175 a couple of years ago. Now we're paying 250, 260. The spread that we're talking about, are you just looking to make sure it makes at least $100,000 or is there a percent that you're looking for? And if so, if it's a percent, what is the percent? I try and make sure that there's six figures in the deal itself on a cash on cash basis because we get really creative with our financing structures. I try and make sure that I can at least do 100% cash on cash. So if I have to come in with 50 or 70 or whatever the case is based on however I have to finance the deal, which it's all over the map. Sometimes you're using hard money, sometimes private money lenders, sometimes bank financing, sometimes more self-financing stuff. I'm looking to double our money. Whatever we put into the deal, we want to do at least twice that on the sell side. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, we're trying to model the deal all in and make sure that there's six figures in it. Okay. So double your money plus make at least $100,000. Right. We rarely hit the 100K mark, just the way we look at the deal. But if you make 82 or 76 or 94, you're not going to be upset. So long as you model in that spread there, you're usually pretty good. And when we have our financing our terms are actually getting a lot better here locally. So I find that we can get into deals with a lot less of our own money and a lot more leverage. So with that, our cash on cash is getting better. So we're seeing 3x cash on cash on some of our stuff. What's the group name that you use to get your financing? Our hard money lenders, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we work locally with Alpha Funding. That's our local hard money lending partner. We've borrowed through Enterprise Community Bank, they're a local bank. They've got three branches here locally, private money stuff, especially now since we've been so active and we've been pumping out so much content on social, we've been able to raise a lot of private money at 8%. So that's really helping us out. When I did get started, things were a lot tougher. I mean, we were doing three and 13. So it's What's amazing. Three, will you elaborate what three and 13 is? Three points, 13%. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So the first handful of deals we did, we were getting three points and 13%. Those terms are brutal. Looking back now on those deals, it's amazing we made money at all with those kinds of terms. So I would say you have to do that. It's part of the process to get started. But looking back on it now, I'm thankful that we weathered that storm and that we did what we had to do to kind of position ourselves. And now we've got access to cheaper capital, thankfully. But if anyone's out there thinking those terms seem silly, there's no way I would ever do that. How does that make sense? I mean, you have to do what you have to do. And to get started, there weren't a lot of guys willing to take a chance on us. And the couple that did, and Alpha in particular, the terms were what they were at the beginning. They have to account for risk, and they did. And thankfully, we proved ourselves to be good sponsors. We performed. And now, thankfully, our terms are better. Now let's talk tactically on the execution of what you do. Using your words, you blow the roof off the house. <laughs> what contractor type of thing should we be considering? And what did you learn through that process? Well, what we do a little differently than most is we've in-house a lot of that stuff. So we actually project manage our own stuff. I call it like PM slash GC. So we don't actually hire a general contractor to run point on our projects. We do that. And in turn, that means we hire and fire all the subs. If you were going to sub out the entire project to a GC, 
who's responsible for everything soup to nuts. You're basically looking for a good GC that's done new construction projects, essentially, because that's what we're talking about. We're ripping everything down to the foundation. So everything short of putting in a new foundation, you want to make sure that your guy's done that before. What we look for now, having done this a handful of times, so I'll do the actual walkthroughs on the homes and I'll make sure the foundation is good. We don't buy bad foundations. We don't buy oil tanks, which are very common here in our market. And we don't buy floods. What are oil tanks? I mean, I know what an oil tank is, but what do you mean by you don't buy tanks? Yes. In New Jersey, especially, you can't really sell a home with an oil tank. So we would never buy one. You don't know whether or not there's a leak. There's just too much uncertainty. So here, those are like our three no's. So if there's a tank at all, we'll either pull it. And if it's not a leaker, then we'll move forward and we'll buy the home or we'll insist that the seller pulls the tank. Mm -hmm. So we won't buy that. We don't buy flood zone just because on the sell side, it's a challenge. And we don't buy bad foundations because we need a good foundation to build on top of. Mm -hmm. So we spec out those three things. And so long as that stuff makes sense, because we're going to gut the entire house and rip it all the way down to the first floor subfloor, nothing else really much matters to us. So we're just really conscious of those things. And that's what we're looking at. And then beyond that, there's a lot of elements on the construction piece Mm -hmm. that we've over time have got a good grasp on and now in-house. But if anyone's out there looking to do this and even some of the coaching clients I'm working with that are trying to do this in their particular markets, what I'm telling them is you need two friends. One's a Mason and the other's a framer. I say with those two tradesmen in your pocket, you can go and spec out any potential at a level candidate and be able to say, okay, this is something I want to move on or this isn't. And will you elaborate more on the Mason and the Framer and why they would be your two main people you need to know? The Mason piece is critical because of the bad foundation stuff. So you got to have a guy in there who knows what he's looking for and looking for cracks, looking for settling, looking for the kind of stuff that you can't just go up on. If you're going to have to underpin a foundation, that's going to crush your budget. So you definitely don't want to buy something with a bad foundation. And then from the framing standpoint, why that guy's critical is because depending on what you're going to do overhead, he's going to have to tell you an architect more so than the framer, but it's hard to get the architect in there and to draw the home before you can write your offer. That's going to be a challenge. Yep. So if you have a good relationship with your framer and your mason, you can get those guys in there with you. An architect needs some time, obviously, to draw the add a level. But the framer can at least go in there and take a look and tell you if you're going to go up over this and it's 800 square feet now and it's going to be 1600 later, here's what I think you might spend per square foot on just lumber. And then here's what my labor might be. So you can get a good idea because those are going to be your two biggest bills. I always say once you get over those humps, like once you've got a home framed and wrapped, you've already forced appreciation long past where you are, where your money is into the home. If that makes sense, you say you buy a home and you're 250 into it. And then the after repair value on the house in a good market here, it's probably like 750 say. Once you've done the masonry, shored up whatever issues you might have with the foundation, built out a little crawl space and then framed, sheathed and roofed the home, you're already far ahead of where you would be otherwise. The rest of the money you spent, it's already paid for. That home as it sits right then to anyone else is worth far more than you've got into it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm glad that you talked to us about those two people and their roles. For the, the Mason and the Framer, would you need to compensate them 
to come out and consult or is there fee built into the deal if you get it and if you don't get it then you don't pay them well at this point we've been working with the same guys for long enough that the expectation is that they're going to get the job if we get the house and if the house makes sense we're going to move on it and the job will ultimately be theirs what i'm telling a lot of my clients and other markets that are trying to forge relationships with those tradesmen is that at the beginning be willing to give them something for their time I know nobody likes bidding work and competition. So what I find is that to give them a couple hundred bucks without them asking is actually the best bet and just have them come out with you. And if you're looking at a couple of dozen houses a month, yeah, that's going to add up. But if you're being selective at the ones you're going after, then that's money well spent. And eventually you'll forge a strong enough relationship with them where they won't want that money. They want the job essentially. So now I do a lot of that. I do the walkthroughs on my own. I rarely ever call in my Mason or my framer to walk the homes with me because I've seen enough of them where I can kind of figure out where we're at. Mm -hmm. I'd say maybe out of every dozen or so I look at, I'll call the framer in just for a second set of eyes or the Mason. But otherwise, after a while, you get a pretty good handle on that stuff. What type of approvals are required to build another story versus another room at the same level? If you're going to do an addition for a room, whether it's at that level or above, it's the same thing. They need a zoning review, so you'll require a survey. And you need building, electric, plumbing, and fire. Here locally anyway. You'll always need all that stuff. If you're just going to renovate the inside and relocate some walls, then obviously you don't have to go before zoning. What I find is that here, every time we do anything, because an ad level is actually considered a new building. When you put that second floor on, that's new building, just like an addition, just like actually tearing down the structure and doing a whole new construction. Actually, short of a couple of things like a pest abatement, environmental survey, soil compaction test, you wouldn't have to do those things unless you were doing new construction. But with the ad level, that second floor is considered a new building. So they're going to want all the trades to look at it, plus zoning, to make sure you're not encroaching on those setbacks. Let's pretend we're in a different market other than yours, and I'll just pretend I'm this person. I'm a pretend I'm a fix and flipper. I don't live in your market. I'm somewhere in the Midwest, and I listen to this episode, and I'm thinking, oh, this is really cool. I never thought of actually building up. I always think about renovating the interior, maybe adding a room, but I never thought of actually building on top. It's just not something that's commonly talked about. How do I determine the ROI on building up versus just adding a room? Because when I look at the sales comps, they usually show just how many bedrooms and bathrooms there are. So it's tough for me to determine, at least me asking this question right now, determine what the value of building on top versus seems like what would be easier building just like another room or something. What we look for, and that's how we determine what half of Union County in particular we decided to focus on. We have to see a big spread between that run-of-the-mill dated caper ranch and that new construction or newly renovated colonial if we see a big spread there three times what you could buy the Cape for or close to it or the ranch or whatever the canvas, whatever the original property is, then I always look highest and best use. Well, to do a renovation or to carve out another bedroom is fine. And you could make 15, 20, whatever 
the returns are, whatever these guys are making on those kinds of projects. But for us, if we're in one of those towns we're talking about and the spread between those dated capes and ranches and those top end colonials that have those similar bedroom and bath counts. If there's that big delta there, that's where we want to be. But what about the spread? Because you're comparing the dated version versus your renovated property with an extra floor. But what I'd like to know is the comparison between the renovated single floor versus the renovated double floor, because that's what I would be choosing between. Because clearly there would be a big price difference in non-renovated versus renovated plus another floor. What we find here is we've got a perfect example. We're working on the purchase of a raised ranch here locally, and we've got an offer in at 450 say. That house renovated, it needs kitchens, baths, it needs the whole house essentially inside, needs some work, outside needs siding and a roof. That house will bring 650 renovated. That house as an add a level will bring 1.1. So when we look at those, we don't want to go in and spend 75 to 100K to try and make 100, which after commissions and closing costs and all that isn't even close to 100 realistically. What we want is to go in and spend 250 and shoot for that 1.1 because in that market, there's more demand. Well, I shouldn't say more demand, but there is demand for that blown out massive colonial with the five beds and the three baths and the finished basement. So we could go in and do what some, I guess, would call a cosmetic rehab, but highest and best use because the opportunities here are limited. So we're looking for how do we maximize the potential of that particular piece of dirt with what's there. And for us, more often than not, it's to go up with it. There's opportunities to just go in and do prehabs, lipstick on a pig type stuff, and just quickly flip it. And we've done one or two of those to keep the machine moving. But what we're looking for are those home runs. We want those crooked numbers. And if we can get a handful of those a year, those are the ones that really move the machine, move the needle, I should say. Yeah, great stuff. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I'd say it's that. It's really about highest and best use. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times, like even us, right, we're kind of caught up in this one niche and this is the lens through which we look at every opportunity. Last year, for example, we missed an opportunity to split a lot and do two new construction homes. And we instead did the add a level and it was a double lot. That's a huge, huge miss because there's just not a lot of land here. So when you find something like that, you have to always be thinking what's highest and best use for this particular piece of dirt and whatever's on it. So I'd say my best ever real estate investing advice is to take your time when you're looking at something and think about every possible angle at which you can approach this specific piece of dirt and how can you maximize the upside there because the opportunities realistically are few and far between. And when you get them, you really want to maximize the upside. Mm-hmm. I love that. It reminds us to break away from what we are conventionally doing and always look at highest and best use and keep that top of mind. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever sponsors. If you want to hire the guy who I hire to help me with my real estate investing business, then go to coachwithtrevor.com. That's coachwithtrevor.com. May 11th and 12th. You got plans? Well, if you don't, here's a suggestion. I'm speaking at the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit in Chicago on May 11th and 12th. I'll be talking about multifamily syndication. There will be other speakers talking about flipping, passive investing, and a whole lot more. 
You can learn more and get tickets at MidwestRESummit.com. All right, Gabe, best ever book you've read? Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Best ever deal you've done that's not your first and wasn't your last? The last massive at a level we did in Berkeley Heights. Picked it up for 465 put in 350 sold for 1.25. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? That example I gave earlier is probably the worst, not thinking highest and best use and missing an opportunity to subdivide a lot and put two houses where we ultimately put one. Best ever way you like to give back? I think what we're doing now with the build, our docu-series on YouTube is probably the way I can best give back. We're just documenting what we're doing and looking to educate and inspire other people and help folks avoid the same mistakes I made getting started by showing them what it is that we do every day and how we do it. And that it's not that easy and that, <laughs> that it is a lot of work. And how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you and learn more about what you got going on? I think going over to YouTube is probably the best bet just because we just recently launched that docu-series and it's engaging and there's a lot going on and we're pumping out an episode every week so they could see what we're up to. But beyond that, I'm active on all the socials, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, anywhere they want to reach out to me, they're welcome to. And I respond to every single email, any question over on BP, any way you want to get me, you can find me online and reach out to me and happy to answer any questions and add value however I can. And Gabe, what should they search for on YouTube in order to find that docuseries? It's called The Build. The Build. Got it. The Build and then search your name and they'll find it easy enough. Yeah. YouTube.com backslash Gabe DeSilva. Oh, sweet. All right, cool. Well, Gabe, thank you for being on the show and jolting me at least back into keeping a fresh approach on my deals. I'll just speak for myself. So often I can get caught up in the business plan that I always do versus taking a step back and thinking highest and best use. How can we maximize the earning opportunities with this property? In your case, you're looking to build up, but in any case, it can just be having that frame of mind and applying it to the deals that we do. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks for talking to us about your business plan and how you've executed on it and what you're doing. I hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on. May 11th and 12th. You got plans? Well, if you don't, here's a suggestion. I'm speaking at the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit in Chicago on May 11th and 12th. I'll be talking about multifamily syndication. There will be other speakers talking about flipping, passive investing, and a whole lot more. You can learn more and get tickets at MidwestRESummit.com.